I will be speaking a familiar cry that most of us know. It's a human cry. Why doesn't God show up when things aren't going well? Where is the Lord? How long, O oh Lord? How long? Would you open up to Habakkuk, chapter 1, please? I will read the first four verses. I will be going through the book of Habakkuk over the next two or three weeks, maybe a little longer. I will speak on the first four verses today, and then pick it up as the weeks go on. Starting in verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Let's pray. Lord, we know this cry. It's the cry of the righteous from every age, Father God. As we look around us, Father God, and we see the violence and the destruction and the contention and the strife, everywhere we turn, to the left and to the right, the north and the south, overseas, here at home, in the homes, everywhere we look, Father God, we, we see it. And the longer we walk with you, the more sensitive we become to this cry, Father God, the more we see it. You've been opening up our eyes, Father God, to understand this deep burden of Habakkuk, which is really your burden, Father God. This is your son's concern, Father God. And only your son has the answer. So, Father God, come and visit us today. Open up our minds to understand the scriptures, Father God. Let us enter into Habakkuk's world. Let us enter into Habakkuk's heart. Let us understand Habakkuk's cry of where it comes from. And who he brings it to, Father God. Help us, Father God. Encourage us in this turmoil time we live in, Father God, with destruction and violence all around. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'd like to address this age-old cry of the heart that's familiar to most of us in this room, if not all of us. You don't need to be a Christian to ask this question. The world asks this question. Many times when I'm speaking about God and the goodness of God, I often get this question. If God is so good and so powerful and omnipotent, then why does evil exist? It's an age-old philosophical, theological question. Many men, good men and noble men, learned men have attempted to find the answer. And uh, outside of the Bible, you'll never find the satisfactory answer. The scriptures give us part of the answer. It gives us the ultimate answer with the second coming of Christ. But this is a real cry, and I want to bring it forth today because I'm concerned. I have a deep concern as a pastor, what I see taking place in our own nation, what I see taking place in the world, what I see going on in Christians' hearts. I see frustration as we see the good world we lived in, especially this country, seemingly disintegrating before our eyes. And, and we want to know where is God? What's going on? How can these things take place? We, we cry out with Habakkuk, how long, O Lord? When we see the law of God perverted, we see the laws of the land perverted, we see the evil surrounding the righteous, 
Surely God has to do something. This is a real problem. It's epidemic. It's a real crime. As a pastor, I want to address this. I think Habakkuk is really a timely message, not just for today, because we think we're living in the worst of times. There were Christians that lived in a lot worse times than we have. But it's a cry in every believer's heart, and this is why. Every believer eventually grows closer and closer to Christ. And the more we grow closer to the Lord, the more we see violence for what it is. The more we see injustice for what it is. The more we see destruction and strife. And we recognize these elements of life. And it's not of God's good word. God created the world good. Very good. We know sin entered into the world. But we also know that God is omnipotent. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He can do all things. Well, why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't he show up? Why does it seem the wicked prosper? Why does evil prevail? Why does God seem to do nothing? Why is he indifferent? I believe we see that a lot in America. I like to speak specifically to our time, our generation. We're living in a time of great upheaval. America, the great, as strong as she is, seems to be at times vulnerable. There's an enemy that seems it just won't go away, that's constantly shedding fear in the hearts of Americans and the rest of the world. It doesn't seem we can drop enough bombs or send enough troops. American citizens, as we demand something be done, we want safety. Our families want safety. Habakkuk wanted safety. There was violence and destruction, contention, strife was everywhere. We almost demand it. It's almost a right of citizenship, isn't it? How much more in the kingdom of God? Isn't it a right of citizenship to say, God, can't you see what's happening? Fear is gripping people. And we feel a sense of vulnerability. And we want that safety and assurance that the heart longs for. The heart longs for safety. The heart longs for assurance. But where do we go? Where do we really go to find that peace of mind? That sense of security and assurance that things will be alright in a very, very, very evil world. That seems to be getting more evil and even closer. I believe the text answers some of these questions. Habakkuk was a man who lived in very, very similar times as us. And what I want to be careful over here is that Habakkuk was speaking specifically to a covenant people. He was speaking to the Jewish nation, which was a theocracy. And theocracy had its spiritual and its political all in one. It wasn't political state and it wasn't a religious state. It was one state. As we move forward 2,000 years later or 3,000 years from this setting over here, for us it's a little different, but the principles are the same. We, the church, have gone out into what? The world. We live amongst the people now. And so we see the evil and destruction, the contention and the strife much more clearer. It's real to you. It's real to me. It touches our heart. It brings concern for our family and for our loved ones. Habakkuk lived in a very situation like what? He was a believer like we are believers. And he lived in a, a great time, in a secure place in Jerusalem and Judea. At this time, this small window of opportunity in Jeremiah's ministry, right after 
Josiah died, there was a sense of safety. Josiah, the great reformer, brought a sense of safety. But after he died, someone more wicked than Manasseh had risen. King Jehoiakim was a man, the Bible says, was the worst of all kings. So bad was he that he's the only one attributed to ever killing a prophet of God. He saw a time of revival. He saw a time of of great religious reform start evaporating before his eyes. He was watching something good. He was watching a work of God just disintegrating before him. It fell, this good work of God fell into the hands of evil men. And he's crying out, how long God? How long can you watch this king ruin a nation? How long can you watch the evil surround the righteous? Can't you see, God, that something good is disintegrating before us? And we look at America today and we're saying that it's falling apart. It's falling apart. It's happening so fast. Someone's got to do something. Judah for a while had lived in relative safety. It was a time that it was going well. If you were the rich and you were spiritually blind and you were spiritually deaf to the cries of the poor, you were doing okay. But there was great geopolitical upheavals taking place around the region. There was a changing of the God of Syria, which had a heavy hand on Judah and Jerusalem for many years, was now being beaten down by a new nation rising up. Babylon was taken over. Assyria, Egypt, which were the reigning nations of its time, were now being beaten down by one nation more brutal than the other two, the Babylonians. We find out in chapter 2 when we get into it how brutal of a people they were. And the thought that God was going to use a brutal people like the Babylonians to bring judgment to the righteous Israelites. It was mind-boggling. How can you use a, a nation more wicked and evil against a people more righteous than them? That was the cry. That was what's taking place. One scholar puts it this way. The first decades of the 6th century B.C., left many people reeling and disillusioned. It was an agitated time characterized by rapid political change, international turmoil, bloody military encounters, and a growing rebellion against the demands of the covenant by the great majority in Judea. Prophetic activity was feverish, not only with the ministries of people like Jeremiah, Nahum, and Zephaniah, and Ezekiel, but also with many, many false prophets in abundance. A lot was being said, not all of it good. The people at this time were blind to the social injustices that were taking place. They were blind to the oppression of the poor. They were blind to the religious leaders' corruption that was taking place. Every leader was taking a bribe. True worship of God was at an all-time low. Morality was a non-issue. Everybody was doing whatever they wanted to do in their own heart. It was hedonism from the temple down 
The law of Moses was so perverted, it was rendered useless. Other prophets of his time that prophesied at the same time Habakkuk, namely Jeremiah, were crying out against this. But nobody was listening. Israel, the northern kingdom, had fallen a hundred years earlier for the same sins and indifferences. And nobody seems to care. They're blind and they're dumb to how bad things really are. They're really blind. They cannot see that the day of evil is right on the horizon. There's a real imminent threat that's not far off. And they're living in a false sense of security. And because so many of the leaders were not listening to the true prophets, but they were listening to the false prophets. And if you don't understand what the false prophets were saying, this is what the false prophets were saying. Do not listen to the troublemaker Jeremiah. He prophesies against us. He says that God's against us and God is not for us. He's telling us that we broke the covenant and so the curses of Deuteronomy 28 are going to fall upon us. Do not listen to him for this peace, peace. When Jehovah says there is no peace. Guess who the leaders were listening to? The false prophets. Even though they had fallen away from God, living in sin and idolatry, taking God out of every institution. Does it sound familiar? Does it sound familiar? God is taken out of every institution. They still believe they had the blessing of God's hand upon them. International crisis abounded. There was growing fear and uncertainty. And though God had warned them repeatedly, as he did... The southern kingdom before them, a hundred years before them, judgment finally came. These people were making the same mistake. History is now going to repeat itself. Most people went on their day without really understanding the times they live in. Speaking to somebody who's talking about the times and this and the rise of ISIS, Islam, and all this, confessing to me that they're a believer. I open up the word to them and I say, well, let's see what the word of God says. And, 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 and they said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. They said, yeah. And after I finished explaining it, they said, but. Are you with me? Yes. See, that's what religious people, that's people that think they have a personal relationship with Jesus. They'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you finish explaining the way of God, guess what they say? But. But. When God says something, there is no but. There's no but. It's not but ISIS or but the Muslims or or but Trump. There's no buts. God's spoken. All buts cease to exist. And for the believer, though I don't understand it all, at least I find comfort. Amen. God's spoken to him. I'm a believer. We saw it. We believe in the promises of God. Give me more grace so I can believe more promises. Because I still need more grace. 
Understand something. Sooner or later, any nation, whether a theocracy like Israel or a post-Christian nation like America, when God and his moral character is not part of the fabric of society, understand something, something bad is going to happen. Something bad's going to happen. Before I move on, there's a question implied here. Speaking to someone else, they're saying, is, is God judging America? Every time something bad happens, is God judging America? As though God is the type of God with these knee-jerk emotional reactions. He runs to one nation, he's judging them. Then he runs over here and he, he judges them over there. And something happened, and then he runs over there and he, and he squashes their party. And he's running around squashing everybody's party. So I had to say, it, it's a yes and no question. I know everybody else is actually not over here. Is God judging America? America is judging itself. It's judging itself. God has handed over anybody, a person who wants to live in their sin and willfully goes on living in their sin after hearing the word of God constantly, he gives them what? Over to their sin. A nation that consistently turns a deaf ear to what the church says, consistently takes God out of every institution, ripping the name of God, ripping the, the character of God out, and teaching there is no God, or, or filling the void with their own sense of who God is, what is God going to do? Give them over. He gives them over. It's idolatry. God gives us over to our idolatry. So in a sense, is God judging America? He gave us over to our sins. And we're going to reap the whirlwind. We're going to reap the whirlwind. Whether it's today, tomorrow, or a hundred years, I can stay here and preach this under the authority of the word of God. Sooner or later, evil has to come. Could be a hundred years from now. But the word that's being preached today is as timely now as it was 3,000 years ago. God is nowhere to be found. God has given us over. Sooner or later, something bad is going to happen. And if anything really happened to America, this world would become an extremely unstable place to live in. Very unstable. There would be a void of real leadership and strength easily could lead to global chaos. You know why I like saying that? I'll tell you why. It's very dogmatic. Very prophetic. Very sort of fire and brimstone type. But I'll tell you why we can say that. Because that's the world we live in today. And if it's not today or a month from now or a decade from now, as I said before, the world cannot live under the strain it's under as it is right now for any length of time. It cannot. What's going on in our nation today, what's going on in the world today is no small matter. We could be on the verge of tipping the scales to global stability. And, and, and the pride, the hubris of mankind would think that will never happen. Understand something. Do you have any idea? You know who said that? Do you know who said those very words? This could never happen. You know who said that? When the rain started coming and the floodgates opened up and that strange cat that was built of the big boat 
in the backyard who was preaching to them righteousness, get right with God, and they thought they were what? Until the rains came, Jesus said, and the waters came, and the storms came, and then that generation understood the judgment of God had come. Jesus teaches that, and he says that's the same thing that's going to happen before his second coming. Luke chapter 17, Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25. He's on his way. And everybody's crying, saying, it can never happen to the great America. It can never happen here. As a Christian, understand something. It could happen anywhere, at any time. Any nation that separates itself from the character of God and removes God and sets themselves up in the temple of God as God, destruction has to come. It's no small matter. So what are we going to believe? Is there a perfect storm coming? Something that the scriptures teach inevitably will happen? As a believer, what am I to do? Is it, is it one candidate above the other? Are either candidate qualified to bring the peace to my heart that only God can? Please, was Habakkuk candidating for somebody? Was he saying vote for this one or vote for that one? He bring his cry to God, not to man. He bring his cry to God who alone can save. Is it a political question at all? Or is it purely theological? Before we move on, I'm not going to try to show all the similarities between Habakkuk's day and hours. There are many. I'll do this over the weeks as applicable. The number one thing I want to mention is the seeming blindness. This is what I want you to see. The seeming blindness by many national leaders back then to Habakkuk's cry, to the many leaders today that seem to be blind to what's really going on, not just to the national threat, but to the wholesale moral corruption and idolatry that usually precedes great catastrophes. The kindling is being laid. God is being removed. Immorality is on the rise, so much so it's, it's amoral society. Anything goes. Just don't disagree with it. Let it all fly. The great Rome was blind to its own demise right before it fell. And one of the contributing factors that all scholars teach was their hedonistic lifestyle married with entertainment. They were addicted to personal happiness. It's the only thing that counted. Little did they know there's an enemy against Rome that did not care about their lifestyle or how comfortable they were. America is in a place that it cannot get out of its own way. Addicted to personal happiness and feelings. Entertainment. Blind to the realities that are taking place, just like in Habakkuk's time. They were blind to the growing invasion that was going to come. They were blind to it. Because they were so 
saturated in self, in sin. My concern is for many Christians today who might still be blind to how the Bible weighs in on this subject and how are we to respond. Let me just go to the text for a couple of minutes and we'll close. The oracle, verse 1, we can put that up there. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, the superscription here, describes the letter as an oracle. And it has a double meaning. First, it's a revelation from God. It's, it's God revealing something that otherwise could not be known by man's perception. Impossible. God has to reveal it to the prophet. But the word also means burden. And it's usually in agriculture. It's, it's a heavy load that an, a beast of burden would carry or a man would carry. And what Habakkuk has here is such a revelation from God, it becomes what? It becomes a burden. That's why he's used the word cry. He used the word, two different, two different words for cry to, to try to capture the intensity, the emphasis of this burden. It is so real to this man. It's, it's like this heavy load that, and it means to cry out. It's so heavy upon my heart, God, that I, I have to cry it out. I can't whisper it. It has, to be un, it has to be unloaded. And this is important because we have spiritual emotions going on here. This cry, this anguish of the soul concerning contemporary life in Judea is the product of a heart that knows the Lord and knows His will, that knows His law. And he knows that the society has broken his law. And he knows the God that says, if you break the law of Moses, this is what's going to happen. And there's this deep burden because he's got a revelation. God is going to act. Habakkuk is a deeply reflective man. A man of depth. A man with substance. He has deep values and convictions about life in God's world. There's a right way to live a life in God's world. And when that life, right life is not lived, God's patience sooner or later is given out. He was most likely a Levite. He had access to the temple. He had access to praise. He had access to worship. He had access to the presence of God. He had access to the word of God. He was nurtured by God from his childhood up. His cry is based on a knowledge, listen, of who God is, his character, his power, his law, his justice, his attributes. His cry is not based on, well, this is what I think life should be, and I'm going to give the world my opinion, my prophetic opinion, that I'm so wise and so brilliant and so perceptive, I'm going to tell you what I think. His, no, his, his prophecy is based on the character of God. Not his own personal experience. I really wish life was like this, so I'll prophesy accordingly. Or his own desires. Jeremiah rebuked the false prophets of his day, saying, They prophesy their wild imaginations and their dreams. Let he who has his dream keep his dream, but let he who has my word. Use it like a hammer. 
this is important. This is why. Don't miss it, born again Christian. This is important because the cry of the heart we just read, that we're going to read again, could never be produced by an unregenerate human being. The ancient world had its moral philosophers decrying the immoralities of its day. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and others cried out against the immoralities they saw. But they didn't know to God who to bring it to. It wasn't based on the character of God the way the Hebrew prophet was. They didn't have an answer. They could see something was wrong. But they don't know the original state that we were created in the image of God. And there's something better for us. This weight, this load is too heavy to bear. One has to share this kind of burden. And here it is. This kind of burden could only be shared with God. When he cries out to God with his own oracle. He cries back to God. He's basically saying, God, you put this on my heart. I've got nowhere to go. Nobody will listen. The law is paralyzed. The law is perverted. The priest takes a bribe. The king takes a bribe. The prophet takes a bribe. Where am I going to go? And in some room or some cave somewhere, he's crying out to God. This is the kind of cry... You have to bring to God. No political institution will do with this kind of cry. Only God can answer this cry because only God has the power to answer it, the wisdom to answer it, the ability to change the wicked situation. Man has his ideas, man has his opinions, but in the end, what the Bible says, they'll all fail. Man has an ability to suppress evil for a short time, but never fully conquer it. The great enlightenment, the 20th century, bring its great depression, bring two world wars, and we're barely out of the century, and we're still fighting the same stuff. And God, and they're still taking man, man is still taking God further and further away from the people. We're becoming some secularized. Man has a way of knowing something is wrong in the world and at the same time keeping themselves distracted with lesser things. I heard a guy crying, crying, oh this, oh that, oh this, oh that. Uh, uh, have my latte please and uh, give me a croissant with that. You know, like you really got it tough over there, you know what I mean? You're really, really challenged, aren't you? With your eight hours sleep and everything. Oh, the, oh do you see what they're doing? And oh, we could all get fall into it. We could all do it. We live in a land of leisure, a land of convenience, a land of comfort. This is why we have a hard time believing a message like Habakkuk. This is why you'll read uh, Matthew 24 and 25 and say, oh, what does that mean? This is why you read Revelation. Everybody wants to know Revelation. When's Jesus coming back? Are you prepared for Jesus to come back? Are you prepared for what's going to take place on this earth before Jesus comes back? Are you prepared to meet the Son of God? Are you really prepared? The people in China who are Christians, people in in Saudi Arabia who are Christians, they're prepared because they're on the battle line. 
They've got nothing to live for but Christ alone. You and I, it's Christ on Sunday, it's something else on Monday. Or my foot hurts, it's something else on Tuesday. Or or I I got a toothache and, you know, I might go to church. We are so below the standard. I don't know if American Christians are ready for what's going to take place. I really don't. I really, but I'll tell you this. I know a God that gets his people prepared. He's a gracious God. He's a gracious God. He'll use this text to open up people's eyes tonight and say, you know something? I see it more clearly now. And I see my part in it. Even though others can keep themselves distracted with lesser things, not here. Not with God's prophet. And not with his righteous church. Not with those who know his word, know his character, know his person, and know the promises of the second coming of Christ and the catastrophes that will take place right before his coming. You see, the burden has been handed down from Habakkuk throughout the Old Testament. Christ carried the burden. Paul carried the burden. Peter carried the burden. The apostles all carried the burden. The first century church fathers carried the burden. You and I are what? We're carrying the burden. I can't help but to look around and say the same thing. And guess what I do? I go to the same place. Lord, how long? How long, oh God? Luke 18, 1 to 8, we did it in prayer the other day. That's exactly what's taking place. If the Spirit of God lives within you, there is no possible way God will allow us to turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to the injustice that's around us. He will not. He will sound the trumpet, he'll sound the alarm, and he'll wake us up out of our stupor and our slumber. Habakkuk brings his burden to God and so should we. This does not mean that we don't try to be part of a solution as Christians. We're not passive. We don't just hide in our corner and have prayer meetings. We're out there. We vote. We advocate. We rally the wagons. We tell people we're involved with any good thing that's moving forward for the benefit of mankind. It's good. There is a just war. There are good things we can do, and we should be on the front line, involved in doing that as Christians. But we don't depend on man for the answer, we depend on God, who uses man. There's a big difference. It's okay to be involved, but I'm not looking for the answer to come out of the mouth of a man when I got the scriptures in front of me. God brings peace to our heart. He says here in verse 2, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you look at wrong idly? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and attention arise. So the Lord is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. These verses go to show us how serious the problem is in Jerusalem, Judea. It's a real bad situation. And he says how long teaches us that this burden has been growing steadily and growing. It's a growing burden over a period of time. And it seems that God is deaf. He's not listening to his prophet. He has the authority to write this. Habakkuk, a prophet of God. 
He has that authority to say it's an oracle. He has the authority to say this is divine. It's a revelation. But yet he's like, but God's not even listening to me. God, you called me to this. And you won't even listen to my cry. Don't you and I feel that way sometimes? Don't you and I feel like, God, I'm a Christian. I got the spirit of God. I got the word of God. No one wants to be saved. No one wants to come to know the knowledge of the truth. No one's listening, God. My family doesn't listen. My friends don't listen. Where are you, God? How long, oh God? He even, the prophet even catalogs the violent deeds that are being committed. In the Hebrew, you see a graphic, detailed analysis of what's taking place. This is ethical evil being expressed in physically brutal ways. Murder. Rape. Stealing each other's property. The worst of the worst is taking place. The prophet's crying out, you call me the... Where's God? He's looking at a society that's falling apart. And he's crying out, where's God? He goes further than that. He goes, and you will not save. I'm crying out to you. I'm pouring out in graphic detail of what's taking place. And you will not save. That's bold. The prophet was bold. You will not save This spiritual burden by what he sees in the world. And now he has spiritual perplexity about why God doesn't answer. There's two problems going on. There's two burdens. There's the burden of seeing the evil, the destruction, the contention, and the strife. A society falling apart. That's a burden in itself. But what's the worst burden? To think that God doesn't hear your prayers. How many times we pray for a dying loved one? How many times we pray for a wayward child? How many times we prayed? How many times we waited? And how many times for years we cried out? And all of a sudden, God, it only ends in death. And we're like, but God, I'm a Christian. They were a Christian. How long, oh God, I cried out. We all experience this to some degree. Proverbially, when we cry out and say, God, where were you when I prayed for that person? Where were you when I prayed for that circumstance that never changed? I cried for you with tears in my eyes. The pain was killing me. And you were silent. Tell me what's more painful. What we see or when we don't hear God listening. Or think he's not caring. I know what's painful to me. I know what was painful to the prophet. This man is crying out with this lonely feeling. It's almost like adding salt to the wound. He goes on to say, Why do you make me sing Habakkuk's cry of distress? is not the product of a good man's personal observations about life. This is not the moral philosopher saying, you know, the world could be a better place. And everybody's saying, now you see it from Broadway, you see it in entertainment, if we just love one another. Can you imagine that? 
Can you imagine in the political cry today, they're going to get together and say, Let, what the world needs now is love. Like that's going to change anything. You've got to be kidding me. It's not going to change the evil heart. Getting together and singing songs and lighting candles is not going to do it. You got to cry out to God. You got to feel the burning. That's what changes things. You got to wrestle with God. This is a man that wrestled with God over man's evil and God's silence. He's wrestling. He's watching man's evil and he's crying out to a God that seems to be indifferent. It's called ministry. It's called ministry. And if you're called, if you're going to carry this burden, if you're going to go into ministry, you got to have the call. You got to know how to wrestle with God. You got to know how to see evil and pray to a God that can deliver it. He hates the evil. He has the power. He has the wisdom. He has the ability. He has the word. He's the son. He's the father. He's the spirit. And it seems like he's doing nothing. Parents know that. Parents praying for their children, they know that. It's a burden. It's an oracle from God. It's not for everybody. It's not for the faint of heart. I'm going to tell you that around. Christian faith is not for the faint of heart. He's wrestling with God. And in verse 4 he says, So justice never goes forth. Violence. Destruction. Listen to the society. Violence, destruction, strife, conflict, no justice. How can a society survive that's characterized by violence, that's characterized by destruction, characterized by strife, characterized by conflict, characterized by a perversion of justice? Does this sound familiar? Understand something. He says the law is paralyzed. It's a word picture. And it comes from a courtroom drama. It's This is how it is. It's an innocent party standing there hearing one false witness after another false witness after another false witness after another false witness. And after many false witnesses, other people get up and swear to the lie they just said. And more false evidence comes in. And all of a sudden, when you have false witnesses and other people lying to the false witnesses and more false testimonies, the only thing you can get is a false verdict. It's a stacked deck. The prophet is looking and saying, they could care less about God. They could care less about his word. They can care less about justice. We think, do you see what they're doing to the Constitution? The Constitution, are you kidding me? Do you see what they did to the word of God? They don't care about what Christ has said. Do you know what what Peter says? Woe to them that do not Obey the gospel. Woe to them. What will happen to them that disobey the gospel? You think man cares about what the Constitution says? I care about it. I think it's a great article. It's something we can really live by. But the point I'm saying, they don't care about the word of God. Why are they going to care about the word of man? We got to start running to God. We've got to be careful our hearts taking any kind of comfort in mankind. Any kind of comfort that America is going to be great again. I don't want to shoot your bubble or where you are politically. 
This is not against Donald Trump. Just read a report that he might be generally born again. We'll find out. No, no, when James Dobson says that this man has a genuine conversion, I'm going to listen to James Dobson. He's in my press. All right? I'm not going to get... You read it. But the point is this. He's still a man. What I see and I feel and experience in my heart, only God can do. Only God. And here's the thing, and I'll close with this. The only thing that can curtail evil, violence, destruction, strife, and contention is the law. But the law is paralyzed. It's already perverted. It means numb. Useless. When the heart is so cold and bad, law is meaningless. The conscience is seared as with a brand and eye. The only thing that can happen now is chaos sets in, moral restraints and abiding values are set aside, and society is headlong into disintegrating into something that has to bring God's judgment. That's Habakkuk's dilemma. And I'll close with this word. It's our dilemma today. It's still the cry. But here's something. Hear me good, Christian. That's not the last word. Go home and read chapter 2 and 3. Only three chapters. God has the last word. Satan doesn't have the last word. Evil doesn't have the last word. Those who pervert the law of God won't have the last word. Evil people whose minds and, 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 and their conscience are seared as with a brand new line will not have the last word. God has the last word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Father, your word is enlightening, it's challenging. God, it is so timely. It is so relevant. Circumstances seem to change, but we know there's nothing new under the sun. Vanity of vanities, it's all vanity. Father God, we know that your word endures forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of the God, the gospel, will endure forever. Father God, encourage us. We have the cry of Habakkuk. Now let us have the hope that you give to Habakkuk in our hearts. In Jesus' name.